Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message. Easter Tide. This is the seventh Sunday of Easter Tide. So next week is Pentecost, which is awesome. Today, though, we're going to be looking at a very. Uh, it's one of those passages when you read it, and you're like, there is a lot here. Okay, we're going to be in John chapter 17. But before we start, I got a lot of stories to tell this morning. So I have to make a confession to you. This is a confession from when I was a, ch- a child. Okay, um, bring it on. Uh, I was fairly nosy as a kid, and I really had perfected the art of the eavesdrop. Was anybody else an eavesdropping child? I see a lot of head... Oh, people are raising their hands. This is great. (laughs) Okay. Well, when I was a kid, I became a master at eavesdropping. I had two methods. One was the phone method. Okay? So this is when mom was on the phone. And by the way, I only ever eavesdropped on my mom. And they're moving here in 10 days, so I have to tell these stories now before my parents <laughs> start coming to church here. Okay, So I would, um, we had like, the, the, you know, the old-ish phones where you had the buttons or the, this thing. And so, okay, rotary, I know. Okay, so you would slip your little finger under and hold those up and down thingies and then pick up the, the, and then you would gently let go. And then you could hear when mom was talking to somebody else on the phone, preferably around Christmas time. Uh, now this ended once we got a cordless phone because you just, and then mom would be like, I hear somebody on the phone, get off. Who is that? Get off. And it was always me. Uh, so that's why I had a preferred method. My preferred method was this. We lived in a really long ranch-style home, and my bedroom was about halfway down a very long hallway, and at the end of that hallway was the living room. So at night, when we were supposed to be in bed, I would sit at the edge of my doorway, and I would listen for any little snippets of information that I could glean from the living room. Sometimes it was my mom and dad talking, Sometimes, again, my mom would be talking on the phone to a friend, and I would just sit there. But the hallway was long enough that if somebody started coming down the hall to, I don't know, check on their child who's known to be eavesdropping, (laughs) um, I could scamper back to my bed and not be discovered. That's what I thought, anyway. So, why did I enjoy eavesdropping on my mom? Aside from the fact that I was a little bit nosy, okay. The reason, if I'm honest, is because I wanted to know what she thought. Don't you just at times want to know, like, what your parents think? Especially as a kid, I wanted to know what she thought of me. I wanted to know what she thought of my brother and the boneheaded things he was doing. I'm kidding. Uh, I wanted to know what she thought about, like, just things happening in the life of our home. I wanted to know what I was getting for Christmas, okay? I wanted to know things. And we can almost say, almost, 
that we're doing a little bit of eavesdropping while reading our chapter this morning. Uh, In this chapter, Jesus is not speaking to his disciples. He's not talking to his friends or to any crowd or to any religious leader. This is a prayer recounted to us between Jesus and his father. And we get the privilege of listening in. And there's some questions or thoughts that as we kind of study this text together this morning that I would like for us all to kind of keep in our mind. Um, First of all, just as I wanted to know what my mom thought of me, uh, and that led me to listening in on her conversations, um, how many of you have ever actually wondered, what does Jesus really think of me? What does Jesus think of my boneheaded brother? Kyle, if you're listening, (laughs) I don't really think you're a bonehead. Um, What does Jesus think about, like, what's going on here? And we'll just use, like, our little church as an example, but we can, like, extrapolate that further out into, like, the American church, the global. Like, what does Jesus think about these things? And also, to keep in mind, uh, this is the beginning really of Jesus saying farewell, right? Um, He knows, like from this point onward, things are gonna be changing, they're gonna be changing quickly, and pretty soon, uh, he was leaving. He wasn't going to be here on earth any longer. Uh, And if you've ever uh, left like a job, or if you've ever left a relationship, or insert something else maybe that you leave, I don't know. Uh, You know that the way you leave a thing is just as important as the leaving itself, sometimes even more so. You may dream about walking into work and telling off your boss and turning on your heel and walking out the door, but actually the way you leave a thing speaks volumes about your actual leaving. So what was Jesus thinking as his return to the Father drew closer? What was taking up space in his mind and in his heart, um, so much so that he prayed about it? These are really valuable questions to consider uh, as we read the following verses. Let's go ahead and pull that up. John 17, we're going to read 1 through 11, and then 20 and 21. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you, uh, you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. Verse 6, I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. And now they know that everything I have is a gift from you, for I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it, and they know that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. Verse 7, 
My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you and you have given them to me so they bring me glory. Now I am departing from the world. They are staying in this world. But I'm coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so they will be united just as we are. And we're going to skip down a little bit in verse 20. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. And as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, there's that language again, they're in each other, may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. A lot to digest, right? Yeah, a lot to digest, which is why uh, we're only going to really look at like three verses, okay? Uh, in verse three, this is where we're going to focus this morning. Uh, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ who you have sent. All right, so I grew up in church. I've talked about this. I grew up like really in church, okay? We went all the time. Uh, so this concept of eternal life or living forever is not a foreign concept for me at all. Uh, it's probably like in the top five things that churches talk about, right? Uh, maybe two, I don't know, like all the time. Uh, eternal life always goes hand in hand with going to heaven, right? And weirdly enough, going to heaven always goes hand in hand with dying. So uh, for me, I find it interesting that the message is become a Christian so that when you die, you can live forever. This makes no sense. It's okay to laugh. This makes no sense, which tells me uh, there has to be something more. Like we have to be missing something. Uh, when I wasn't eavesdropping, Sometimes as a kid, I would sit in my bedroom and I would just try to wrap my head around my life never ending. Has anybody ever tried to like wrap their head around eternity? Uh, and I'll be honest, as a kid, the conclusion I came to was, that sounds boring. <laughs> So I would tell my mom, what are we, like, what are we gonna do? A life that never ends. She'd be like, well, we're gonna worship Jesus. And as an eight-year-old, I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> All right. Uh, and then I would, trust me, you guys have thought that too. I know you have. <laughs> okay, uh, Kevin, yes, thank you. Uh, and then I would start thinking the logistics, like, well, would I continue to age but maintain my youth, so that I didn't look and feel a million years old, right? Uh, and then I would ask all these questions, and everybody had answers for me. But the more that people had answers for me, the more I was like, I think we're all wrong, okay? Uh, so again, this signals to us that maybe there's more than what meets the eye here. So uh, allow me to go down a a rabbit trail. This is one of my favorite things to talk about. And it is 
stories, okay? So if our collective stories tell us what we value, and if every culture, whether ancient or modern, has legends of like the fountain of what? fountain of youth, uh, restorative rivers, um, artifacts that make the bearer of that artifact, which is usually, I think, Indiana Jones, um, immortal, right? And all, all cultures do have these stories. Um, then I think that the pursuit or like the concept of eternal life really has a central place within our narrative. Does this make sense? Humankind craves eternal life for the sheer quantity of it. Uh, I was talking to someone just this morning, Kevin, and we were making jokes about how, you know, the, the animal that lives the longest is a very slow tortoise, right? Because we're looking, it's just, it's just in us somehow, uh, this, this concept or this desire to live forever, to not die. Um, we crave eternal life for the sheer quantity of it. To never have to die or experience weakness or frailty. I mean, come on. Who doesn't want that, right? Um, and it's a sharp contrast from the world we live in, where death is inevitable for all of us, uh, Pain, weakness, frailty. Just ask the Yamakraw people, right? Ouchie. It's here. Um, but what Jesus says in John 17, 3, if you could bring that slide, that first, I guess it would be the second slide back up, is that eternal life is not about quantity at all. It's measured by a certain quality. Eternal life is not counted in years or decades or eons. Um, it's counted by the quality of knowing God and knowing his son. So if we were to change our approach to eternal life from quantitative to qualitative, well, that changes Everything. All right, how many of you like to watch TV shows? Raise your hand. How many of you like to read books? Raise your hand. Okay. Dusty and I are TV watchers. We love our stories. I love to read as well. Um, and here's the thing about people who love a certain TV show. Also, don't ask me what I'm watching. I, will, I always draw a blank. People will be like, what are you watching? And I'm like, oh, Lost? I don't know. <laughs> like, that's the last thing I can remember really watching. Uh, here's the thing about us like story lovers, us TV people and book readers, is we, uh, as much as we enjoy the story that we're wrapped up in, we despise spoilers. Don't you ruin that story for me. Uh, good stories are crafted in such a way that like, the big reveals only cause us joy or terror or intrigue um, that they're supposed to because uh, they fall within the context of the story arc. Okay, um, So one summer, I spent uh, the summer in Jordan 
and it was the summer that the last Harry Potter book came out. I could have bought it there, but it was like weirdly expensive, and I was like a broke college kid, even though I was in another country. I was definitely a broke college kid, and also, like you've guys seen that book, it's huge. And my time there was winding down, I didn't really want to lug it through the airport, so I thought, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to read it when I get back. And Dusty, God love him, waited too. He was like, I'm going to wait and read this book with you. So we get on the plane. It's an international flight. So it's row here, big row here, row here, all the way back. I was in the middle row, middle seat. Woof. Woof. That's right. You guys, I kid you not, on either side of me, they were reading Harry Potter. I had a 10-hour flight from Amman to Chicago. It might have been longer or shorter. I don't remember. And the whole time, I was just, don't look. Just don't look. Don't look. And this one lady, she didn't sleep. Like, she did, this was an overnight flight. She did not sleep. And the whole time, I was like, you're going to close that book? Because I'm an eavesdropper. I didn't want the story ruined. We all love a big reveal, right? So, eternal life is knowing God. And if that sounds impossible, we have good news for you this morning. The story that we are in has had a big, huge, amazing, incredible reveal. And it's the reveal that was one of the things on Jesus' mind as he was praying before his arrest. In verse 6, Jesus says, I have revealed you. And in some translations, particularly in the original Greek, it says, I have revealed your name. Your name. Um, This is one of those phrases, when you're reading the Bible, if you see anything about a name or your name, you should perk up. This is like an indicator that something really important has been said. Um, So I did like a very short little deep dive into the lexicon. Um, Guys, I'm not like... A scholar, I don't know, but I think I know what I'm doing a little bit. So, uh, <laughs> a little bit. Um, the Greek word used for name here, I looked up the definition and it blew me away so much I wanted to share it with you all. Could you pull it up on the slide? The name is used for everything which the name covers, everything the thought or feeling of which is aroused in the mind. By mentioning, hearing, remembering that name. For example, one's rank, one's authority, one's interests, pleasure, command, excellences, deeds. I love this part, etc. Jesus revealed God's name so that we may know him. By revealing his authority, right? By revealing his deeds, by revealing his interests, his pleasure, and his excellence. And if we think of it in the context of a story and how big reveals work, it says a lot about this story that Jesus did not come into the world and say, God is God, he's in charge, go about your lives. But rather, he said, God is God. Let me show you what he is like. 
this tells me two things. One, God desires to be known by us. And two, he puts action to his desires in the person of Jesus. The invitation to know God is really foundational to our faith, and I think mostly it's because we're being invited to know him in contrast to the world we live in. Jesus talks a lot in this prayer about how the disciples, as well as us, right, uh, don't belong to this world anymore. Because why? We know God. We live in a world where death is inevitable. We know a God who says it's actually not. Uh, We live in a country where we look out for number one and we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, but we know a God that says, hey, actually laying down your life for a brother is the gold standard. And also the poor and outcasts are the nearest to his heart. Yeah. Uh, Society may tell us to hustle, 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 but we know a God who says, hey, I have a light burden for you. It's a life burden of contrast, knowing God. Let's read verses 20 and 21 again as we wrap up. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's us. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Uh, We can know about something without living in it. So here's my example. It's like the first one that came to my mind, but I'm sure that there's a million. Um, Every year, my family and I, we go out to Arizona. We love baseball. We watch spring training. We've been doing this since 2017. So now when we go there, we're like, oh, yeah, I know that road. Or, ah, there's the coffee shop we hate. Because, guys, there's a coffee shop there that we really hate. It's so (laughs) gross. Their marketing looks awesome. Their coffee, trash. Okay. Um, So we're like, ah, there's that coffee shop we hate. Um, We even know, like, which stadiums around the Phoenix area are, like, the good ones that have free parking. And if the Royals are playing at one without free parking, we're like, we'll swim that day. We're not not going to this place. Um, We know about it, right? But we don't make our home there. We don't make our home there. Uh, Jesus isn't wanting us to know God for knowledge's sake or because God is in charge and you better straighten up, right? Uh, But rather for living sake. Uh, It has always been the heart of the Father to establish people in homes. We sang about it this morning. Better is one day in your court. Uh, I'm coming home. As we, I did not ask them to play these songs, by the way. Isn't it cool how that just works out? I really was going to text Hannah and be like, can you guys play Bitters one day? And you did. I didn't even do it. Especially in light of how knowing him and becoming like him will continue to alienate us from the place where we currently reside, because the world is nothing like God, Uh, here's what's on Jesus' mind as he prepares for the cross. We go back to our questions. You know, what was Jesus thinking as he left? Give them 
a place in our home. Because they know you by believing me. What does Jesus think of us? He wants us with him. And that unity, the like God with us, us with God, uh, if you'll notice at the end of verse 21, it's not for the purpose of exclusion. It's to further bring into belief those who have not yet believed. And may they be in us so that the world will, what? Believe you sent me. So who is in a position to condemn? Only Christ. And Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. And as we see in this chapter, Christ prayed for us. All right, band, you can come back up. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.